0: From the human point of view calvary was the greatest defeat anybody ever could experience from the divine point of view calvary was the greatest victory for on the cross satan was defeated satan's pride was defeated by our lord's humility he humbled himself and became obedient unto death the power of death which had been in the hands of satan was now wrested from him and satan today is a defeated foe
1: Today on the Songtime broadcast, we wrap up our study with Dr. Warren Weersby and the triumphal entry of Jesus and how what was accomplished here on this Sunday of celebration of Jesus' final week would ultimately be finished on that Friday as Jesus conquered Satan through his death. Stay tuned for that message, but first, we're joined once again by Dr. Sharon James as we talk about how Christians can respond when criticized that Christianity is bad for the world. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. All week long, we've been joined by Dr. Sharon James to talk about her response as she's written to this question, Is Christianity Good for the World? It's been a great discussion and a great conversation, and it would suit those who have raised this question to actually sit down and read it. But uh, as many of the non-believers that I would love to sit down and read this book, most of our audience are Christians. And when we hear this question, our tendency to, to respond to it is either to, to join with them in sort of bemoaning all of the tragedy Tragedies of Christianity and really kind of feeding into the argument that Christianity is somehow bad for society, or we rail against it. We get very defensive and we start attacking the opponent and seeing them as as they are, as people that are trying to uh, tear down the foundations of our faith. But Sharon, what is the proper response to those who are raising this question? Obviously, you've written the book, uh, but for us as as believers, how should we respond? when people claim that Christianity is a detriment to the world?
2: Well, the proper response is the response of Jesus Christ, who tells us to not just love God, but love neighbor. So in any engagement with somebody who's coming at us from a hostile point of view, we say, well, what's lying behind that hostility? Very often, if somebody is angry, they themselves might have suffered some um, abuse in the past, which has left them bruised. And the response of Jesus Christ would be to say, How can we care for them and how can we love them? And there's no point in having an angry argument with somebody, Adam, because, you know, if you win the argument but lose the person by the way that you've had the argument with them, you've lost that person. And Jesus Christ has that extraordinary example of engaging with people with absolute truth and clarity. He never compromised um, the truth about God's moral law. But equally... He engaged with people in a way that respected them as humans made in the image of God, and I think that that's just something that we we, we don't get right naturally. We, we we might err on the side of being over-sentimental, oh, anything goes, we don't want to make people feel bad, or over-aggression, uh, a sort of harsh telling of the truth. And We need to pray to God for that Christ-like attitude of love that enables us to speak truth with love.
1: Hmm. What about the person who's listening and saying, but I feel all the feels. <laughs> I have a bleeding heart in this area, and I hear all of the attacks against Christianity, and I and I believe them, and, and I feel them. Uh, what sort of advice do you have for the person that just feels that Christianity has been evil for the world, it has been a problem for the world, and they don't know how to make sense of that in their own heart?
2: Well, truly and honestly, look at the outworking of the absence of Christianity in the world. I could, for example, just say, look at the 20th century, look at the carnage left behind by those atheistic regimes that denied uh, any religion at all, look at the 148 million left dead by atheistic communism, or look at the advent now of a culture of death that denies the fact that human beings are unique and says, well, we we can treat human life as disposable depending on capacity, and so you get 73 million unborn children slaughtered every year in the world. You get a country like Canada, which is saying, oh, it's cheaper to kill poor people than to provide welfare for them. We'll offer them medically assisted dying if they want to get more welfare. So the the outworkings of an atheistic worldview, I would say to these people who have a, a soft heart, are far more terrifying <laughs> than any of the horror stories I suggest they can come, can come up with.
1: And as, as well, I would say, probably turn off the news. <laughs> you know, uh, we don't need to be reminded over and over again of all the negativity. We need to be encouraged at what God is doing. So turn off the news. Go to church. Get involved and roll up your sleeves and and volunteer and be a part of a local church that is actually serving the community and serving yeah. them well. Um,
2: We're made in the image of God. We're wired up to get joy and satisfaction in serving others. So look out at the needs around and say, what can I do today? To go and help, even if it's a lonely neighbour, to go and you know, knock on the door and say, "Is everything okay?" You know, look up, look out, engage with human beings, and as you say, uh, the media can be a very, very toxic influence on 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 our, on our spiritual well-being.
1: And there's nothing more spiritually crippling than watching things that are happening on the other side of the globe and feeling powerless to be able to do anything about it and constantly being shown those images uh, when you have opportunities right around you that where you could serve and get that positive reminder that we are doing some good in the world that uh, God has created but God is also in the process of, of redeeming.
2: Absolutely and a far more constructive use of time I would suggest is to own a resource such as Operation World the manual of how to pray for the world Pray for a different country every day and the actual real needs. And then if you do see the news, go straight to Operation World and say, what's the bigger picture spiritually? What's going on there? How can I pray? And then find an organisation or several that you can genuinely support with prayer and with giving um, and with maybe some voluntary work as well, like the International Justice Mission that's actually doing work on the ground to free people from slavery, from sex trafficking, from the brick kilns in India or whatever it might be, And then you can have the satisfaction of knowing, yes, there is evil in the world, but in the name of Jesus, we can actually get out there and push back on some of that and make a difference.
1: Now, I know that this is a very sensitive subject for many of our listeners for this reason, that they have children or grandchildren that are raising these attacks against Christianity. Uh, Children that were raised in the church, necessarily, and uh, have turned their backs on it, and now are viciously attacking the faith that they were once raised in. What encouragement can you have for parents and grandparents who have that pain in their heart, knowing that uh, many of these things might even be true, like those stories of of pastors who have abused their position, and, and they just see it as a further pushing their children away from the faith?
2: Yeah, I, I have a heart for those parents and grandparents, but I would say that if youngsters go away from the biblical faith, and they go into the world, it may well be that like the biblical parable of the prodigal, they find that things are not so happy and mm-hmm. rosy and free and comfortable in the far-off country as they had supposed. And sometimes it takes going off into that far country, even for many years, and then the faithful prayers of those parents and those grandparents are used by God to wonderfully bring back those prodigals to say, you know what? Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And whoever comes, he will never turn away. And there are very beautiful stories, multiple beautiful stories. You think of a testimony of somebody like Beckett Cook, you know, who had praying relatives. And after many, many years of living a non-Christian lifestyle, uh, came to Christ. But there are so many, Rosario Butterfield, so many testimonies like that. So parents, grandparents, keep loving, keep praying, keep hoping, keep trusting. (laughs) And, and we do very often find that, that, uh, that, that God does kindly answer those prayers.
1: We've been talking with Dr. Sharon James. Her book is called, Is Christianity Good for the World? It's a short, easy pamphlet you can pick up, and then once you read it, you're going to want to get her other books as well to dig deeper into this conversation. Again, a great resource and something that I commend to you as our listeners to be able to be ready, but also be encouraged by the truth that God is doing a great work in our world today, and we want to advance his kingdom on earth and see as we are taught to pray on earth, even as it is in heaven. So, Sharon, again, thank you so much for this booklet, uh, for your other books, but also for taking the time and talking with us today.
2: Well, thank you for your ministry, and it was great to speak with you. Thank you so much,
1: Adam. I have to admit that there was much more to my conversation with Dr. Sharon James about her book, Is Christianity Good for the World? And much of it didn't air this week because we didn't have enough time. So if you want to go back and listen to the interview in its entirety, and maybe even share it with your friends, that would help us quite a bit, but also give you some value of going back and revisiting this conversation, please head over to our website at songtime.com. Check out the video interview and be sure to share that on your social media platforms. I hope that this will not only be a blessing to you, but to those around you. And of course, if you want to find out more information about her and this book, please give our office a call. It's 508-362-7070, or you can head over to our website again at songtime.com. Well, today we're wrapping up our study in John chapter 12. As we look at the triumphal entry of Jesus, we can approach it with our palm branches on Sunday and remembering the worship and the celebration of Jesus as the King of the Jews, the the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of David. But really what Jesus uses this opportunity to talk about is that he would ultimately suffer. That only when the seed is placed in the ground and dies is it able to bring forth fruit. And he is the seed that will be buried in the ground for us. And this is this story professing what he is about to do as he enters into his final week, the triumphal entry on Sunday, and ultimately the cross in view on Friday. Here is the late great Dr. Warren Wiersbe with a closer look at Jesus' explanation of him being the suffering servant in John chapter 12.
0: First, the judgment, then the glory. That's true spiritually. You know why some people are not saved today? It's not because they haven't heard. They've heard. They've heard enough to save the world. You know why they aren't saved? They won't stand under judgment. Oh, they want the glory. Lord, someday I want to be in heaven. Then let me judge you right now as a condemned sinner. Oh, no, I don't want that. How foolish the sinner is who rejects judgment. He's as foolish as the cancer victim who rejects the x-ray and the surgery. He's as foolish as the owner of the house who rejects the architect's estimate of damage that the termites have done. The glory of the judge. Jesus said, when I die on the cross, here's what's going to happen. The world is judged. To think that the religious world hung him on the cross. The Roman world of law hung him on the cross. The Greek world of wisdom hung him on a cross. Religion nailed him there. Government nailed him there. Culture nailed him there. And in so doing, they condemned themselves. When they condemned Jesus Christ, they were saying nothing about him. They were saying a great deal about themselves. They were saying, religion bankrupt, culture bankrupt, government bankrupt. They even had the audacity to write above the cross in three different languages. The Latin language, the language of government. The Greek language, the language of culture. The Hebrew language, the language of religion. And they just put it right up there and said, all of us were condemned. When Jesus died on the cross, he condemned this world system, and when he died on the cross, he condemned Satan and all of his system. My heart leaps up when I read Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. I tell you, where it tells me that Jesus Christ stripped all of the armor off of Satan and his hosts, Having spoiled principalities and powers. That word spoiled means he, he left them naked. He took their armor. Having spoiled principalities and powers. Having conquered Satan and his host, triumphing over them in the cross. From the human point of view, Calvary was the greatest defeat anybody ever could experience. From the divine point of view, Calvary was the greatest victory that God ever won. For on the cross, Satan was defeated. Satan's pride was defeated by our Lord's humility. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Satan's lies were defeated, for he was on the cross as God's truth. And he said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know the truth. Satan's power was broken. Satan's darkness was defeated. The power of death which had been in the hands of Satan was now wrested from him. And Satan today is a defeated foe. And so it will be that one day God will be able to make a new heavens and a new earth and a clean universe And there will be nowhere in this universe anything that lies. There will be no darkness. There will be no serpent to deceive. No lion to devour. There will be no masquerading. There will be no satanic force at work. All of God's great universe will be purged and cleansed and made anew. And do you know what? Those of us who are saved are going to enjoy this whole great universe forever. I enjoy reading C.S. Lewis. I just finished a, a new biography of C.S. Lewis because C.S. Lewis believes something that I believe. And I like to read somebody who believes what I believe. Mr. Lewis says many Christians have somewhat such a limited view of what heaven is going to be like, such a limited view of eternity. He said, if I understand what the Bible teaches and the kind of God we have throughout all eternity, we're going to have limitless space for our enjoyment and our employment. And we won't be limited by time or place. Jesus Christ is going to give to us a universe, galaxies upon galaxies and universes upon universes, And we're going to have all eternity to explore their depths and enjoy their fullness to His glory because He died in the cross. And so you and I can share in God's glory how interesting that He went to the smallest little country He could go to, Palestine, to the most subjugated people, the Jews to a relatively little place called Calvary that never would have been written down in history had he not been there. He went to that little pinpoint geographically and yet what he did there reaches out for all eternity to all the universe. That's God. And he wants you to be a part of it. The tragedy of hell Is the tragedy of the absence of the presence and the glory of God. Yes, the Bible talks about torment. Yes, the Bible talks about darkness. But that torment and that darkness are the byproduct of the absence of God, the absence of the glory of God. You say, I want to be a part of that glory of God. Then you come to Him first as the judge. That's where it starts. First, the judge. You say, Lord Jesus, I, I, I confess, you're right. What you say is true. I'm a sinner. I'm undone. I'm lost. I have no glory. Then you come to him as the Savior. And he saves you. And then you come to him as the King. And you give your life to him. And you say, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. That's what it's all about. The glory of God as the king, the savior,
1: the judge. We can look at the events on this triumphal entry that took place on that that Sunday, the final week of Jesus. That Sunday, Jesus is celebrated in the streets and, and he is being praised and hailed as the king and the Lord, the savior, the son of David, and the son of God. All of these things are expressions that we make every Sunday. We celebrate Jesus in our own gatherings. We want to acknowledge the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and Jesus as the savior of the world. But as we are remembering the celebration that took place on that Sunday, we must remember the context when we get to that Friday of Holy Week and see that Jesus won that victory on a cross, not on a, a, a war horse or being pulled in a chariot and not with an army of angels, but he won it by, by dying alone. And the wrath of God being poured on him. This is what Jesus is foretelling in John chapter 12 as he talks about the seed that is planted in the ground. It must die before it can bear fruit. And he then goes on to describe, especially through the book of Isaiah, how the Savior must suffer in order to bring the atonement that we all need for our sins. And this is the hope that we have in Christ, the reason we celebrate him. You see, in Jesus' day, in that Holy Week, they had things backwards. They they celebrated him before the cross, not knowing what he was about to do, Not, not in any way anticipating that Jesus would die for their sins. But we celebrate on the other side of the cross, And when we celebrate and say the same things, glory to God in the highest, and we say, the King of Kings, the Son of David, the Son of God, when we are saying that, we are saying it in light of knowing that Jesus went to the cross to suffer and die in our place, so that you and I could be saved. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lamb who was slain. That is what Jesus is described at in the book of Revelation, the Lamb who was slain, worthy is the lamb who was slain. I hope that this encourages you. I hope it lifts your spirit. I hope it also puts our praise and our worship in, in the proper context. It is always keeping an eye in the remembrance of the work of Jesus on the cross. That is what we strive to teach on a daily basis because you need to hear it. Your praise needs to flow out of your understanding of the cross. And ultimately, a reminder of the empty tomb. That is where our praise comes from. And I hope that you will continue to join with us, not only in being encouraged by the gospel, but in worshiping through your life and through your, your own song, that ministry of song and many voices, one message. Join with the many voices in giving praise to God for the gift of His Son so that we could be saved. If we have encouraged you, you can also partner with us, not only through your worship and your devotion to Christ and your witness to those around you, but you can also join us through your financial gift. Consider giving back to the Songtime Ministry by writing to us at Songtime Radio, PO Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. That's 508 362 7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, John 13, 34-35. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus said, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another.